0: Amen. Amen. Wonderful singing tonight. Almost an exact repeat tonight of last night. Great singing, great preaching. What a helpful message that was. And freezing cold, okay? (laughs) What is up with Brisbane, Australia? Pastor was telling me that this is the coldest day in July on record in years. So thank you very, very much for that. Open your Bibles tonight, if you would, real quickly to Mark chapter number 6. Mark chapter number 6. I'm just going to read for us four verses, but I do want you to keep your Bible open. And I do believe that uh, this message will be helpful to you, uh, if for no other reason, uh, because it's from the Bible. And Anytime we have an open Bible and an open heart, we're going to get a blessing from God's Word. So Mark chapter number 6. And to look, please, if you would, at verse number 29, Mark chapter 6 and verse number 29, where the Bible says, and when his disciples, and read there, the disciples are not the disciples of Jesus. So the disciples in Mark chapter 6 and verse 29 are the disciples of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist has just died. He's been executed. These disciples have just Conducted his funeral. Then after conducting his funeral, they've made the long trip. You can read the parallel passage in Matthew chapter 14. They've made the long trip all the way from the Dead Sea, all the way north to the northern part of the Sea of Galilee to a place called Capernaum where Jesus is. Maybe 80 miles. So think about what they've been through. The Bible says in verse 29, and when his disciples heard of it, they came, that's the death of John, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Now look at verse number 30. And the apostles. Now these are the followers of Jesus. So in verse 29, the disciples are the disciples of John the Baptist. In verse number 30, the apostles are the disciples of the Lord. And and watch what they've been doing. And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. So at the exact same time that the disciples of John were burying him, at the exact same time that the disciples of John were going to and conducting a funeral, the apostles of the Lord were full of excitement because they had been at revival meetings. They had been throughout all the villages and cities of Galilee and they had seen some unbelievable things happen. They they were experiencing the highs of the ministry while the disciples of John the Baptist were experiencing the lows of the ministry at the same time. Look at verse number 31. And he, this is Jesus, said unto them, and don't miss this, come ye yourselves apart. Do you see that? Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place. When you read desert in the Bible, don't think rattlesnakes and cactus. A desert means a place away from people. A place away from people. Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place And rest a while. For there were many coming and going, watch this, the end of verse 31, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. Have you been so busy in ministry at times when you just didn't even have time to eat? Just so many things to do, so many people to see, so many ministry obligations to fulfill, you just couldn't get it all done just one person just trying to keep it all together look at verse number 32 and they departed into a desert place by ship privately hey i want to bring a message tonight in this final session entitled come apart or fall apart your choice come apart or fall apart your choice Father, I pray that you'd bless the message. We need your help as always. We're grateful that you have a place for us as we just learned. Thank you that while it's a hard place, there you are with your streams of blessings. Oh God, I pray that even this hour you would help us to be in the stream of the blessing of your word as we examine this short passage, as we consider its truth, as we seek to apply it to our respective ministries and lives, our marriages, our families. Oh God, I pray that you bless the application of this scripture to our lives. Help us to learn what it means tonight to come apart in every good and godly way, lest we fall apart, be rendered useless for the ministry. Oh God, bless tonight's message, I pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Jesus and John, of course, were about the same age. Their ministries overlapped for a short period of time. Remember when John baptized Jesus, that John said to Jesus, you ought to be baptizing me. And Jesus said, no, that all righteousness might be fulfilled, baptized me. And of course, that was the inauguration of Jesus' public ministry. John had been preaching for months. John had been preaching the the coming Christ. He was the forerunner after all. There cometh one after me whose shoes latchet I'm not uh, worthy to unlatch, remember John. Behold, the, the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world, John had preached. It seemed as if John understood things about Messiah that Jews did not understand. John understood that Messiah would not just be a conquering king. Now, one day he will. And one day you and I will come with the king to planet Earth. We will rule and reign with him. Hey, what a day that will be. But before Jesus can ever come as a conquering king, he had to come as the suffering servant. And the Jews missed that. They missed that. But John had preached that faithfully. He is the lamb. He is the lamb. He will come as the lamb. He will die. No doubt Isaiah 53 was in the mind of John as he preached. And John thundered that message, that message of repentance. What a man John was. So great was John that Jesus said that John was the greatest man ever born of woman. What a statement. What a statement, John. A burning and shining light. John was. But then you know this, John preached one too many messages, didn't he? And boy, that final message was a doozy, wasn't it? But he called out some sin in that message and was undeterred by the personalities in that service. And uh, John was imprisoned prison because of it. You know the story. And there in a prison called Maturas, on the other side, the Jordan side of the Dead Sea, John was in prison for months Nine long months. So, so discouraged did John become in that nine month period of time as he heard about the popularity of the ministry of Jesus, as he heard about all that was happening in the ministry of Jesus, that John actually sent messengers from prison to Jesus to say, are you really the one? Because I preached a suffering servant, I preached one that would die, I preached one that would be rejected. But what I'm hearing is popularity, and what I'm hearing is is good things, and maybe I missed it. Remember, Jesus said, "No, no, go back and go back and tell John." And he basically quoted the Messianic passage, Isaiah chapter 61. Uh, the, the, the poor are, are receiving the gospel and, and uh, the, the, the bound are being loosed and, and the, the, the sick are being healed. Uh, I am fulfilling the Messianic role and death will come. Just go back and tell John all things are unfolding just as Scripture says. And by the way, that's always the best validation of our doubts. Get back to Scripture. Get back to Scripture. The Bible will always clarify your doubts. And so the messengers came back and told John, but John nonetheless never got out of prison. And you know the story about Salome, and you know the story about Herod, and you know the story about execution, and John was beheaded. You know, in the Bible, a rabbi was typically older than his followers in almost every situation. You think about That in terms of Jesus starting ministry at age 30, probably, probably, and I can't prove this, but probably his disciples were all younger than he. Probably. That was typically the case. One was permitted to follow a rabbi at age 15. One would begin his trade at age 12, but one could follow a rabbi at age 15. So it's quite possible that the younger uh, disciples of Jesus were teenagers, John lived to the 90s AD. John probably was 16, 17 years of age when he followed the Lord Jesus Christ. And so probably were the disciples of John the Baptist, who is now dead at age 31, maybe 32. That's a young man. Now dead. Can you picture these disciples coming to that place where John had been executed? Can you picture them uh, begging for his body and taking the lifeless, headless body of John? Can you picture one of those disciples taking the actual head of John? I think sometimes we don't think through things like that. You know, there are seasons in ministry that are tough. As you sit by a hospital bed and hold somebody's hand. As you don't know what to say to a weeping wife whose husband has committed adultery and has left. Ministry has unique pressures. In fact, I want to talk to you for a moment about the, the pressures of ministry. Because the pressures of ministry include emotional pressures that many people don't always understand. And if you're a layman here tonight, let me just say that you need to redouble your efforts to pray for your pastor. Because the bearing of burdens at the counselor's office, the late nights and the carrying of of those concerns of others, I'm telling you, it takes a lot out of you. I remember when I first began pastoring at age 25, I just thought it was another thing to do. I, I had worked a bunch of different jobs and I was excited about starting a church and I couldn't wait to preach and I thought preach I thought pastoring would be the easiest thing in the world. I mean, you yell for about an hour a week and go out and play golf. I mean, what else really is there? <laughs> well, I found out there was a whole lot more to it. And watch this, I found out that preaching was about that much of it. I remember starting that church and Enfield, Connecticut. I worked a side job about 70 hours a week. We were just trying to survive. I remember one particular Sunday night, we had worked so hard. I traveled an hour, I had my sermon outline, I stood in that empty room, and nobody showed up. And I waited by the window, second story window, and I I waited to see if anybody would pull in the driveway. I looked at my Bible, I looked at my sermon outline, I looked out the window, I looked at my Bible, I looked at my sermon outline, I looked out the window. And I told the Lord I quit. It's not worth it. Why spend all the time? Why why, why put forth all the effort? For what? For what? Just to pour out and pour out and pour out and get nothing back? I'm just telling you, that's the way I felt. I remember sitting in my office in Pennsylvania. Here's a faithful couple. They they were the first couple I met when I went to Pennsylvania. Their their son was the first boy I held as a new pastor in Pennsylvania at the hospital, just had been born. He's almost 30 today and married. I held him, a little baby boy. They were married the same month that Juana and I were married. We were the same age. And some years later, there they are in my office. And and there they are in my office. Another couple in our church. This couple and and this newer couple in my church, they're in my office at the same time. And this woman spoke first. And and then this man spoke second. This woman was having an affair with this man. And they were in the office to tell me in front of their spouses. And I'll tell you, something goes out of you. Something goes out of you. I remember them leaving the office. And by the way, praise be to God, both marriages are intact today and God did a work of grace. I'm going to tell you something. When they walked out of the office that day, You know what I'm talking about. The pressures, the pressures of ministry. Ministry has emotional pressure, but sometimes the pressure of ministry is just just the the pace of ministry. Especially when you pastor, and I've pastored all different sizes of churches. And I'm here to tell you that that, that every every stage of the way, there's pressure. Every stage of the way, it's busy. Uh, back when I pastored that, that little small church in, in Connecticut of 30 people, I, I mean, it was just as busy as I am now because you did everything. I mean, I was the secretary and I was the janitor and I was the usher and I was the greeter. And I was, I was all of it, right? And uh, the phone was always ringing and, and I was the only person to call. And there's pressure. And the Bible says in verse number 31 that they were coming and going, many coming and going, and they had no leisure, so much to eat. I mean, just always something else to do, always someplace else to go, always somebody else to help. And when's this going to stop? I'm on the treadmill. And no one's there to turn the treadmill off. I just need a break, but I can't even take a break. Have you ever been there? Remember in the heydays of our ministry in Pennsylvania, I just got on that treadmill. The thing about getting on the treadmill is you never quite know when it gets to a speed that you can't sustain. You're walking and you're going a little bit faster and you can add a little bit more and a little bit more and a little bit more until finally you're running and you can't get off. You can't get off. And I was in that stage of ministry where I was on the treadmill. I just couldn't get off. I'm just trying to keep pace. And I was working all day, every day. And on Sundays, I'd get up real early and get there at five o'clock in the morning and preach a couple services and then stay through all Sunday afternoon and preach my Sunday night service and have my meetings afterwards and all the stuff you do. I'm not complaining. I'm just saying that was ministry. I wasn't realizing just how much it was draining me. My secretary... By the way, the word secretary has a root word, it's secret. Secretaries aren't supposed to tell on you. But my secretary, who was supposed to keep a secret, told on me. And she told on me to her mom. How bad is that? She said, mom, pastor's killing himself. And her mom was kind of like my mom. She was like a self-appointed mom in my life. (laughs) They're the worst. I'm convinced she's in heaven today, but I'm convinced she came that far from actually spanking me. (laughs) She came to my office that Sunday afternoon with a, a hot plate of food. She put the food on my desk and said, Pastor, you are killing yourself. You need to eat. I looked inside, and there was roast beef, green beans, decoration. <laughs> right? Mashed potatoes, apple pie. It was awesome. Well, you know, I, I got so busy, I, I didn't eat it. After a couple of hours, it's cold, and I just didn't eat it. It's kind of set aside, well, The next morning, my secretary, the root word is secret, once again violated her name, told her mom I didn't eat the food. I'm not kidding you. The next Sunday, she shows up again, same meal. I mean, it wasn't the same meal. She put it on my desk. She opened it up. She slid it toward me. She sat down. She put her elbows on my desk and said, now eat. <laughs> and I sat and ate every bite under her watchful eye. That week and the next week and the next week and every week after that. A precious memory of a precious woman of God who cared for me. Now, I think sometimes Jesus takes a, a plate of food and puts it in front of us. It says, now, Now eat, because some of us, some of you, need to study to be quiet, to make an effort to be restful. And for some of you, that's an effort. For me, that's an effort. I, I preach a message like this. My, my wife says, hmm <laughs> My wife is from Puerto Rico, so she goes, "Mm mm-hmm. And then when she throws in some Spanish words, I know I've done something wrong. (laughs) I'm just telling you. Hey, the pressures of ministry. But watch this, number two. Not only do I see the pressures of ministry right here in our text, I see, number two, what I'll call the places of ministry. And they're not physical places. They're not physical places, but they're kinds of places that you face. And that I face in ministry. What what are the places of ministry? I would say first of all, there are demanding places in ministry. You know, the Bible says people were coming and going, and and uh, and uh, they didn't have time to eat. Let me just say, there are times in ministry, and there are things in ministry that you just can't say no to. I mean, you can't just prescribe rest, and you get a phone call at two o'clock in the morning, and some faithful church members died. And say, I'm sorry, I have the night off. Okay. Call the Presbyterian pastor down the road. <laughs> okay, if he's not drunk. Oh, no, 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 okay. <laughs> Sorry. If we're among Baptists. We can gossip every now and then. <laughs> Demanding places. You know, it's interesting. When Jesus told them in this very passage to come apart and rest, do you know that that day that they got apart to rest, they got in a boat, That's a good place to rest, by the way. They got in a boat, and they sailed to a desert place. And guess who showed up? 5,000 people! (laughs) Men alone, and then women and children. They didn't rest all day long. They fed them, they preached to them, they divided the bread up, and then at the end of the day... The disciples are so caught up in the fervor of the day that Jesus had to take the disciples. Come on, guys, get back in that boat. And they got back in the boat. And guess what Jesus did? Jesus went into the mountainside and began praying. And in the fourth watch of the night, that means he's up all night. So when Jesus said, guys, we need to get apart and get some rest, they didn't rest that whole day. They didn't rest that whole night. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus looks out into the boat. And what are the disciples doing? They're rowing a boat in a storm. And Jesus goes walking on the water. Doesn't sound restful for me. (laughs) The whole point is this, guys, ladies. The ministry has demanding places. and There are seasons that we just have to kind of buckle up and get things done. But that does not exempt the principle that we need to build rest into our minds and build rest into our lives. We've got to learn how to. To rest. The ministry has demanding places. Wouldn't it be great if we could just schedule our problems? Like, I think about the busiest people in this room are you moms. Like, wouldn't it be great if you could just put your whole family on a schedule? It's like, okay, guys, I answer questions from 8 o'clock in the morning until 4.30 in the afternoon, and I do take a half-hour lunch break, okay? It's like, you know, can you have, wouldn't that be great? Wouldn't it be great if you could just schedule your problems one at a time? It's like, okay, the car broke down. No, I'm sorry, it didn't break down because I'm having a health problem right now and I don't do two two problems at once, right? (laughs) It doesn't work that way. You know, ministry is a demanding place. And ministry has demanding places. I think Pastor Shammish said it so well when he said, it's a hardship, we're not exempted from it. We're not exempted from it. It's part of it. Uh, All that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial which is to try you as though some strange thing happened unto you, but rejoice in as much as ye are partakers of the sufferings of Christ, that when his glory shall be revealed, ye may be glad also with exceeding joy. I'm just telling you, man, it's born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. It does happen, okay? Demanding places, which means there need to be desert places. Hey, come apart. Or you'll fall apart, come apart, or you'll fall apart. And I'm talking to some guys now in this room that you find your self worth, you find your identity in work, you find your self worth, you find your identity in how hard you work. And there's a certain bravado that you feel when people say, "Wow, you work so hard and you get so much done, and you define yourself that way." And that's a that, listen. That is a bad treadmill to be to be running on. And so demanding places, but I I see desert places right here in our text where the Bible says, come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest a while. Boy, the patriarchs understood the desert place. Abram had a oak tree. Jacob had a, a rock. Moses had a bush. Elijah had a brook. David had a field or a cave. Paul had the backside of a desert. Hey, what do you have? Where's your secret alone special spot with God? Are you envisioning it right now? Remember those days? Remember when it was enough just to go spend time with Him? I remember as a young man at Bible college, fresh in the ministry, just so in love with Jesus, I couldn't wait every night to get outside of my dorm and walk to the railroad tracks. And I'd walk down the railroad tracks. I'd I'd take my my watch out and I'd walk for 30 minutes because I knew that it'd take me 30 minutes and it'd take me 30 minutes to get back. I wanted to spend an hour with the Lord. Those were sweet spots. Just a dirty old railroad track, but boy, it was a, a desert place for me. Let me just say, we need a revival in desert places to get back there, to renew ourselves, to mount up with wings as eagles again, to get recharged, uh, that, that necessary Mary, she has chosen that better part. It's not gonna be taken away from her. Martha, she's found the secret. That alone, restful time with me. Do you have it? You say, come on, Kurt, you're talking to pastors. I know exactly who I'm talking to. You're talking to ministry servants. I know. We get so busy in the work of God, we forget about the very God of the work as if God created us to be widgets, as if God created us just to be tools. We're much more than that. We're much more than that. God didn't just create us to do, do, do. We're not human doings. We're human beings. And God wants us to be who we need to be. And if you are who you're supposed to be, understand your identity in Christ and your time with Him, you'll do so much more anyway. Pressure. Ministry has it. Pressure places. Number two, uh, rather the pressures of ministry. Number two, the places of ministry. And then lastly, Tonight, I call this the, the pendulum of ministry. Now, follow me. The, the pendulum of ministry. You say, well, Pastor Skelly, what are you saying? You're saying, okay, so I need rest. Okay, good. But what I found is some people, they're pretty good at rest. Matter of fact, it seems like all they do is rest. <laughs> and what did Jesus say? He said, I must work. The works of him that sent me, while it's day, the night cometh when no man can work. And we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath foreordained that we should walk in them. And in all labor there is profit, and your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And so what's the connection there, Kurt? You've uh, You've got work and you've got rest, and how do I understand the two? They're a pendulum. Have you ever seen a, a true pendulum, it, it's the sweet spot. It's the, the momentum this way automatically takes care of the momentum this way. Matter of fact, if you were to stop the pendulum, the weight of that pendulum halfway, it would take a lot of effort to stop it. And it would take a lot of effort to sitting haul it back up. Now, you've got to find the sweet spot between sitting, that's Mary, and serving, that's Martha. And when you learn how to sit at the feet of Jesus, then that pendulum's to serving. Remember what Mary did in Mark 14? The one that was sitting at the feet of Jesus was the one that broke the alabaster box of ointment. When we spend time in His Word, not just in a perfunctory way, not just in an academic way, not just in I-want-to-prepare-a-sermon way, But I'm walking with him and I'm talking with him and he tells me I am his own. I'm in the garden of the word of God in the presence of God, loving God, learning of God. But when I'm in that sitting place, boy, it takes me to the serving place. And boy, when I'm in that serving place and serving him and feel the depletion, I gotta go back to the sitting place. And that's the pendulum of ministry. How's the pendulum of your ministry? Watch what it says again in verse number 30 and we'll be done, verse number 31. The Bible says, he said unto them, come ye yourselves apart. I love how Jesus said that. I love how Jesus said that. Come ye yourselves apart. He didn't say, go ye yourselves apart. You understand the profound difference between the verb go and come. Go is motion away from me. Come is motion toward me. And when Jesus said, come apart, or you're gonna fall apart, what Jesus said is, come, come. The apartness means time with him. The apartment, the apartment, the apartness means uh, this is fellowship, this is relationship time. This is what that means. Come ye. That's why Jesus said, Come unto me, come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn of me. I am meek and lowly in heart. Ye shall find. Ye shall find. Ye shall find. Rest, rest unto, your, unto your souls. That's why Jesus is rest. He's that better rest in the book of Hebrews. That's why when God created the world, he showed us a pattern by doing what on the seventh day? Did God need to rest? Have you ever thought about that? Did, did, was it like after six days of creation, was God like, <gasps> man, you know, Gabriel, Michael, I was going to do the whole six day week thing, but I think I'm going to go with seven And we're gonna the seventh day. We're not gonna do anything because this whole create the universe thing was a lot harder than I thought it was. (laughs) Now there was nothing for God. Did it ever occur to you that God rested as a pattern for us to rest? And He rested on what day? And what day did man rest? Day one. Because man was created on the what day? The what day was man created? So guess what the next day was? Rest day. God began man's life on earth with a rest day with him. It starts with him. It starts with him. I wonder, how's your God time? How's your desert time? How's your alone time? How's your recharge, your energy? Because um, God didn't save you to do stuff. He saved you for himself. He loves you. He wants you. He embraces you. And in that love that captures you, in that love that constrains you, in that love that you harbor in. The work comes. It's natural. It flows. It's organic. It's not a list of things you have to do. It's not a duty you have to fulfill. It's just the outpouring of a life that rests in Jesus. Let's get back to the place where we learn how to rest in him. Come apart or fall apart. Really, it's your choice. Father, thank you for this, for this opportunity, really, just to say a few words that your word has so emphatically reminded us of. Thank you, Father, for the pattern that your son, the Lord Jesus, set for us in his earthly ministry. And Lord Jesus, thank you Thank you for speaking to those 12 on that busy afternoon. And oh God, I pray that you'd speak to us tonight in the same way. Lord, I pray that you'd give soul rest to some tonight whose minds are cluttered. Oh God, I pray that you'd give soul rest tonight to a mom, to a ministry wife who's just frazzled. Oh, God, tonight I pray that you give physical rest to a group of weary warriors on the front lines of the gospel in a needy country. Oh, God, tonight may we learn what it means simply to rest in you. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed for a moment.